misses, hit well, into center field. That one's carrying out at center. It's out of here! Oh, Johnny with a pinch hit home run. At the plate is Mike Trout, the pitch on its way. It's blasted out to dead center field. Out of here. Ball gets away. He's going to break for the plate. Ball game is over. The Angels with a walk-off win here in the bottom of the ninth inning. This is the Angels Recap Podcast, a review of the past week in Angels baseball. Here's your host, Trent Rush. Oh, yes. Hello and welcome. My name is Trent Rush. This is the Angels Recap Podcast, a special edition this week as Vladimir Guerrero has officially been enshrined in Cooperstown, the first to ever go into the Baseball Hall of Fame as an Angel. It was so cool to see Vladdy. He didn't give the longest speech ever, but a really cool, heartfelt speech there in front of the Baseball Hall of Fame. It was an awesome ceremony, and it was really cool, too, at the Big A. They played it on the Jumbotrons before that Sunday finale against Seattle here at Angel Stadium. It was really fun to watch that, and just a special day for the organization. So in honor of that, I got all kinds of great guests that all came on Angels Recap over the last week. Tim Salmon, Adam Kennedy, those guys were his teammates. We'll hear from them. Dino Ebel, Angels third base coach, he coached Vladdy. We will hear from Dino as well in the podcast. Angels chairman Dennis Cool gives us a little bit of background as to 2003 when the Angels signed Vladimir Guerrero that offseason before he won the MVP in 2004. But this podcast begins with Chris Epting, baseball author, historian, to give us a little bit of context about Vladimir Guerrero's place in Cooperstown. Joining us now, back by popular demand, Chris Epting, author, historian of so many books, including Baseball in Orange County, Roadside Baseball, and many others. Chris, hello. How are you? I am great. I am psyched to be back, Trent. Thanks for having me back. Hall of Fame weekend coming up. Vladimir Guerrero going into Cooperstown as an angel. You know what, man? Though That sentence gives me a chill. It's, it's incredible to think about. You know, for anybody who's never been there, the Hall of Fame is basically broken up into the museum where all the great, you know, memorabilia is and the hall where all those plaques are. The thought of walking down that vaunted hall, seeing Babe Ruth's plaque, Honus Wagner, Jackie Robinson, and then coming to Vlad's plaque as an angel is incredible. I mean, it's a long time coming, but to finally have a guy in as an angel is is really outstanding. I am so excited. Well, there have been a few names that could have gone in as angels, but now Vlad is the one to do it. He could have gone in as an expo, too. Like, that's something. It could have really gone either way. You look at the numbers. Look, there's always that conversation about certain players that could cut it either way. But you know what? The fact that he's going in as an angel, I think, really makes a statement. It's a, it's a wonderful new reason for anybody in Orange County to visit Cooperstown, if for nothing else, to go stand in the shadow of that plaque. I mean, look, they've got some great O2 memorabilia from the World Series, which is certainly worth checking out. But to be able to go see Vlad there as an angel, I mean, look, angels over the years, I think, always spoiled fans with great future Hall of Famers. You had Reggie Jackson, you had Nolan Ryan, you had Rod Crew. I mean, again, it was always fun to come watch Legends, but to have one going as an angel, it's, it's something, you know, it's beyond all those players now. It's something we can claim as our own as fans. All right, so let's say that I'm going to Cooperstown this weekend. I'm not. I'm going to 
happen to be here in Anaheim. But uh, for a lot of fans, I know they are on their way uh, with the, a large contingent of uh, Angels personnel going to go see Vlad uh, get inducted. What are some things to look for if you're going to the museum and the Hall of Fame hanging out in Cooperstown? Well, I mean, look, they've got um, one of the single great baseball gift shops, I think, on the planet, <laughs> for one thing. But Cooperstown as a town is is a beautiful, really quaint place, kind of in the middle of nowhere. You know, and kind of, I wouldn't say upstate, kind of central state New York. And you get there. There's not a lot else there besides that. But it's a very charming town. I think what's great about it, some families go where you may have people that are not big baseball fans. But there are plenty of, you know, beautiful little parks and trails and things to explore. But for baseball fans, the main street in Cooperstown, there are great baseball shops there, oftentimes autograph signings and things like that. But really, you center your time around the museum. And like I said, the museum itself has got, obviously, the greatest collection of artifacts. There's a great theater there now where typically there are speakers who will be giving baseball presentations. I've done some there myself. It's always a thrill to go speak at Cooperstown. But uh, but when you walk through that hall, I think that's really kind of a special moment you know, to explore and really think about what it takes to be in that hall. I think sometimes we forget you know, the numbers that are required and the reputations and the legacies that earn your spot in there. You know, so, so it's easy to lose at least a couple of days uh, at the hall. And of course, you know, Doubleday Field is there, which is a wonderful old ballpark. I mean, look, as it was proven um, not too long ago, Abner Doubleday did not invent baseball, but he was from Cooperstown. And that early 1900s myth is what basically got the town to secure the Hall of Fame there when some people did think Doubleday had laid out sort of the modern game and that's kind of a funny story too of just how that happened but you know he was a uh, a well-known civil war general very decorated general who his one connection to baseball supposedly was he did bring provisions and balls, bats, and gloves so soldiers could play baseball, which is actually a pretty cool thing, you know? But uh, the fact that Doubleday Field has been there as long as it has now, it's got its own history. Whether or not he created baseball, the fact that there is a fielder named for him, that name alone has become so mythical in baseball circles. And it's a wonderful old stadium to visit there in town. All right, so I can't wait to go someday, but let's you talk. Have to. Yeah, we got Chris Epting with us. He wrote Baseball in Orange County, and that leads me to my next question about the Hall of Famers from Orange County. There's four of them, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Right, but in it, before this weekend, there are four Gary Carter who went to Sunny Hills High School in Fullerton, of course, and, and was the first expo, first player to go in as an expo, which is kind of interesting given Vlad's situation. There have been a couple of expos since, I think, uh, Tim Raines and Andre Dawson after mm-hmm. that. So uh, Gary Carter, Archie Vaughn, the you know sort of lesser-known, really legendary shortstop who went to Fullerton High School. And, I mean, Archie Vaughn, he got the nickname Archie here in Orange County. He was from Arkansas. Joseph Vaughn became Archie Vaughn here give you an idea of this guy's numbers first 10 seasons as a shortstop for Pittsburgh he batted over 300 I mean this guy out of the gate was really something special Uh, and Walter Johnson we've talked about before who also went to Fullerton High School and then Burp Lylevin from Garden Grove whose dad much like Bob Feller's dad did back in Iowa um, Lylevin's dad built him kind of a mound in the backyard and sort of a little setup where he could actually pitch and develop that astounding curveball right here in Garden Grove so those are the four guys who up till now what I I think is incredible this year is you've got two Orange County 
um, players essentially going into the hall in um, Trevor Hoffman and Vlad. Trevor Hoffman went to high school in Anaheim, went to college in Cyprus. So to have two OC stories, I mean, really, how many counties can, cl- can claim two of the four Hall of Famers going in are local or local stories? Yeah. I think that's incredible. That's unheard of. Hey, I was reading this, and I, I to, to, for, by the way, for me to be able to tell you a history nugget, I'm really fired up about. But it was in a Tom Verducci <laughs> story several years back. I was, I was reading that Trevor Hoffman's dad, Ed, used to bring him to Angels games. He would hang out at the Big A, and a lot of times fill in, he was an usher at Angel Stadium, would fill in as a national anthem singer. So Trevor Hoffman was like kind of quasi-famous before he even got here. Isn't that something? And you got to imagine, again, any kid growing up in Orange County, whether it's Bly Levin or Trevor, would go to a lot of Angel games. But the fact that he's got that kind of yeah. connection to it, Again, it just it it enriches the local baseball fabric, and that's what I love about something you came up with there. Is uh, when when I see him go in this weekend, it's like I'll think about him being a kid here at Angel Stadium, you know, and it ties it all together for all of us fans who come to this ballpark. He had such a great quote. He goes, "Yeah, my my dad was the original closer because he would always <laughs> he would always come through in the clutch to do the national anthem." I thought that was a cool quote. We're talking with Chris Epting right now, uh, author, historian, has written tons of books, uh, a lot about baseball, a lot about baseball here in Orange County here on Hall of Fame weekend and a big Angels fan too like when you think about your time uh, watching Vladimir Guerrero and his place in the game not just maybe in Angels history but in baseball history like in your opinion understanding what your background is where do you see Vlad fitting in in all this? Well, I certainly think he deserves the nod at the Hall of Fame. I really do, for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, there are impact players, and then there are guys that you stop what you're doing when they come to bat. You know what I mean? And Vlad was the uh, second angel, I guess, to win the AL MVP after yeah, Don yeah, Baylor. Don Baylor was one, yep. And, of course, Mike Trout's won a couple since and will <laughs> hopefully, no doubt, win a couple more right. while he's here. But I think Vlad was one of those guys, sort of like Trout, too, where they come to the plate, you stop what you're doing, no matter whether you're home or listening to the radio. Your focus becomes intent on them. So they're an impact player, but there's something so almost exotic and mythical while they're playing that they're one of those rare cases where you realize you're watching somebody bigger than life while they're playing. And you got to pinch yourself when you realize what that guy does. What always got me, as somebody who still likes going to the batting cages, you know, if I'm on there kind of working this 70 mile per hour, you know, with batting gloves, you know, how many players don't wear batting gloves today? That, to me, gave him this almost kind of supernatural aspect. If that guy's up there swinging at the pitches he's swinging at, doing what he's doing to balls in the dirt with no gloves on, what did that feel like? You know, He never winced, never showed anything, any sort of pain or anything. To me, he had this almost kind of superhuman quality to him. Yeah. And, uh, and his attitude in the field, the smile, the arm, all of those qualities, to me, beyond just the numbers, you know, a guy who comes in who can hit a thou- get 1,000 hits in both leagues, you know? Um, he he certainly owns his place there, but I, beyond just the numbers, though, he brought with him, I think, a charm and a charisma. That's just kind of that X factor, that thing you can't really put your finger on, but there's something about him that's magnetic, that draws you in, that makes you realize you're watching, you know, raw talent on a level that's just beyond what most of us can even comprehend. Chris, I, I tell you, when when we have you on the air here, I, I'm getting tweets and I'm getting text messages from friends and emails, people listening. They just love hearing your baseball stories. I know you told the one, uh, the, the double-day baseball story in Cooperstown and how that all came to be. But uh, what, what, do you have any stories for us, things that you can kind of just share, maybe about Orange County baseball or, or about uh, things that you know in, in Cooperstown that, that would just be fun to tell our audience? You know, whenever, you know, going to Cooperstown for me, I always wanted to go see 
see Babe Ruth's locker. I was like a Babe Ruth kid. That's who I wanted to kind of learn about, you know, throughout. So that was the first, when I went there, I was about eight or nine years old. The very first thing I went to was to go see the Babe's locker. And Babe Ruth to me is somebody that, um, you know, he was sort of like the Pied Piper of baseball, you know. And I love the fact, you know, he would travel in the offseason and barnstorm and travel the country and, and really kind of spread the word of baseball. And the fact that he did it here in Orange County, you know, there's a, a little place in Fullerton. It's not a, it used to be a hotel. Today it's kind of a shopping dis, uh, district called Sol, uh, Vista del Sol. And it was a hotel back then. And the babe stayed there in 1924. And I've been in there, and I think about what it would have been like. What if you ran into him on, on Commonwealth Avenue yeah. in Fullerton? You know what I mean? As he made his way over to Brea to play this game against Walter Johnson. And there's a really famous photo of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. It's in the book Baseball in Orange County. And they're holding up a bunch of ducks and quail and sort of game birds that they've, that they've caught. For years, the legend was that photo was taken in Huntington Beach at the Balsa Chicken Gun Club. Now, I live in Huntington Beach. I walk where the gun club ruins are almost every day. So the thought that Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig were right there in 1927, a week after the murderer's row won the World Series, is incredible. But I did a lot of digging and a lot of research, and I found out that photo was not taken in Huntington Beach. If you look at the photo, and we should put, maybe we can post it somehow. Okay, we, we'll, we'll post it on Twitter, hashtag Angels Recap. We'll get it up there. Okay, if you look at that photo, I did sort of an examination of the trees behind them, the big cypress, cypress trees. And what I determined was where that photo was really taken. If you know where the Los Alamitos racetrack is today, Mm -hmm. there used to be a a gun club there called the Farmer's Gun Club. And that's, in fact, where the picture was taken. So whenever you drive by that track or you're in Los Al, you can know that Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig were taken there by a local car dealer who belonged to that gun club, wanted to sell them a couple of cars. Big celebrities were in town, right? But that's where that photo was taken. So, again, the fact that these guys, Lou Gehrig, his only trip ever to California, that he's in Orange County, over in Los Al, 20 minutes from here, to me is incredible, you know, and it just reminds us that these players, these bigger-than-life players, actually walked among us here in Orange County, you know, and people, you know, they never quite they placed Babe Ruth in New York, in Los Angeles, but never in Orange County. He was here. Lou Gehrig was here. Lots of others were here as well. But when we see that photo, it really is an amazing picture, one of the rarest baseball pictures of Babe Ruth taken right here in Orange County. Chris, considering that you're such a big Babe Ruth guy, what goes through your mind when you see Shohei Otani now. And, and I know that the, the comparison's really not fair, but it's been a century since we have seen somebody pitch and hit at this level. Listen, man, I, I smile ear to ear because, you know, the kind of talent that it takes to be a master uh, on the mound and behind the plate, it's something you just don't see. And and I think the comparisons are a lot of fun. They may not be as tight as some people want to believe, but they're a lot of fun because, you know what, people, Ruth was that pitcher. You know, uh, Babe Ruth one time was, uh, he got thrown out of a game for walking the first batter. And uh, four straight pitches. He argued every call. They <laughs> toss him out because he's arguing with the ump. And they bring in a guy named Ernie Shore to finish up. Ernie Shore picks off the guy on first before throwing a pitch and then sets down the next 26 batters and does not get a perfect game after coming in to pitch for Babe Ruth. But uh, I just thought I'd throw that. That's one of that's, my favorite Babe a, Ruth that's stories. That's an unreal story. That's the legends. And uh, but, but as far as Otani, I mean, look, again, it's sort of like watching Vlad and, and watching Trout. You've got to put yourself in the moment and realize what you are watching today. You can't take players like this for granted. These are players that in 20, 30, 40 years, you'll tell your grandkids, I saw him play. And I think sometimes as fans, we take this stuff for granted, not realizing what a gift it is to have a player of that caliber with that kind of mystique on the field. Uh, You know, that 
it really it's it's a treat for us. And again, I think you know the Angels have have done I think a really good job throughout their franchise of bringing in certain key players like that, whether it's Vlad. Trout, Atani, that spoils those fans. Win or lose, you got to remember, it's not always about. We love to win. We love winning teams, but we still get these treats to watch these players perform. The best players, uh, in some cases, will go down in history ever, perhaps. You know, and uh, we're very fortunate to have that here in town. Uh, going back to Ruth for a second, before we even started doing this interview, you were telling me about how Babe has no problem or had no problem taking advice from anybody, uh, even in, in his heyday. Right? There was a, there's a guy. He's still around. He's in his mid. Is named Arnold Haina, one of my favorite baseball writers ever. He wrote my single favorite baseball book called A Day in the Bleachers back in the 1950s about the game where Mays made the catch off of Vic Wirtz. He was there that day and wrote a book just about that game. Anyway, he lives in Laguna now, and he was kind of a stadium rat when he was a kid in the 1920s and 30s growing up in New York. And he told me a story about how one day he'd been at Yankee Stadium and he saw Ruth make a throw from right field where I guess he missed his cutoff or something. Well, the next day, Haina's walking on the Upper West Side and he sees Ruth all dressed up in his top coat with his wife, Claire, and they're walking down the street. And Haino, who isn't shy now, wasn't shy then, approaches Ruth, and he starts saying, hey, babe, here's what you did wrong yesterday. Now, Ruth's wife, he tells me, is trying to drag babe away, saying, we're late, we're late. And Ruth shushes her and gets down in Haino's face and says, all right, kid, tell me what you saw, tell me what I did wrong. And Haino lays his case out, and the babe says, you know what, kid, you make a great point here. And they have this engagement on a street corner in New York City. And it's like the fact that babe Babe Ruth, I mean, in the early 30s, where he's he's Babe Ruth at that point, right? He's the legend of yeah. baseball. And that he still would take time to hear a kid out who's giving him a hard time about a mistake he made and actually give him credit for, for a proper correction. You know, Babe Ruth was certainly, I think, uh, a man of the people, somebody who understood why connection counts, you know, and to never miss an opportunity to hear from a fan. Chris, it's always fun having you in studio to talk about some baseball. Uh, this you is the too, best. my friend. Listen, man, I, I love hearing from, from fans who are passionate, not just about baseball today, but baseball yesterday, why the game matters. There's no other sport that generates stories like this that we lose sleep over, that we think about, that we dream about. That's the magic of baseball. So on Hall of Fame weekend, what better weekend to be sharing some cool stories? I, a lot of people reached out to me about getting in contact with you. How do, how do people reach out to Chris Epting? How do people learn more about these stories you're telling? Well, I have a website, Simply Chris. ChrisEpting.com. I'm on Facebook, you know, on Twitter, all the usual kind of places. Okay. I love hearing from baseball fans. I do a lot of speaking about baseball and book signings and things like that. So we can hopefully all connect at some point. And again, it's how I learn stories too. Invariably, people will come to talks and say, hey, you know what? My dad knew Archie Vaughn at Fullerton. And then I'll hear something. And that helps me sort of begin tracing down even new stories. How about Fullerton High School? Two baseball Hall of Famers. That's I mean, big time. It's, it's incredible. And not just Hall of Famers. I mean, Archie Vaughn and Walter Johnson. Yeah. I mean, Walter Johnson, one of the original five to go in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is really, I think that's incredible that, that Orange County can claim a player that went in with Babe Ruth, Honus Wagner, Christy Matthewson, Ty Cobb. It's a big deal. Yeah. And Walter Johnson. Chris, thank you. My Good pleasure, to see you, man. Trent. Thank you for having me back. Awesome stuff right there from Chris Epting. By the way, you can join us on Friday, August 10th at 7 p.m. That's when the Angels take on the Oakland A's. Fans are going to take home a historic Vladimir Guerrero Hall of Fame bobblehead. It's courtesy of the Automobile Club of SoCal. While supplies last for details, visit angels.com slash promotions. Let's continue the conversation talking all about Vladimir Guerrero with one of his old teammates and Tim Salmon. And here's our chat. Joined now by the Kingfish, Tim Salmon 
Bryant is with us, former teammate of Vladimir Guerrero, who's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this coming weekend. Uh, Fish, for you, when you think back to your time playing with Vladdy, what are some of the memories that stick out there? You know, he, he's the one teammate that um, the memories are always in the category of amazing feats, I think, more than anything. Um, you know, he was an interesting teammate because there was a language barrier for sure, so you'd, you didn't really have that communication relationship that you might have with another player but um you definitely had um the, you know the relationship of going out there and grinding and, and winning together but um you know boy i, I you know vladdy my, my biggest takeaway on vladdy everybody always says oh you know he was just such a pure hitter you know see the ball hit the ball doesn't matter over his head in his shoes and i always go yeah he liked people to think that but this guy he, you know he played cat and mouse a lot and he definitely had a better idea, an approach to what he was doing up there um, than people realize. And that's something that I took away watching him play every day. I saw it firsthand and um, I could see how he set up guys because, you know, that, that, that's kind of an old school thing. You don't see that happen as much anymore. But, you know, he would set pitchers up and then take advantage of them as the game went along. And, you know, it's just a joy to watch. I was going to say, like, how much interaction is there between teammates when you, when you guys are exactly trying to figure out hitters? And you mentioned you don't see it quite as often in, in today's game. What kind of advantages are there for, you know, you being able to watch Vlad and his approach when you're going to the plate? Well, you definitely, in, in the case with Vlad, you, you definitely uh, learned by watching him play. Uh, like I said, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, verbal communication in the sense like I might have had with a Chili Davis or something. Um, mm -hmm. Vladdy was very short on his words. And. Um, if anything, the, the language barrier made him always kind of shy away from really getting too technical in what he was telling you. Usually, just see the ball. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, whatever. But I, I will tell you a funny story about um, Barry Zito. Uh, at the end of my career, my last time facing Barry Zito, I was hitting, I was like hit 150 off him. And he, Barry Zito was known for having a big curveball. But he also had a good fastball and a good changeup. But they, I always just missed those pitches. I was popping them up, rolling them over, just out in front, whatever. It was like, maddening I could never square this guy up well we're going into the game facing him and Vladdy's on the highlight reel he's hitting like 600 off off him and finally I go to Vladdy hey look it's my last time facing him tell me what you got and Vladdy goes oh see the ball hit the ball I go no you don't hit 600 see the ball hit the ball he goes he looks at me kind of sideways and with a little smirk he goes seat curveball and I said sit curveball you mean that big old curveball nobody sits on that curveball I mean it's tough to hit well, I went back and looked at my video, and what I saw was every time he threw the curveball, it was the only pitch that covered the heart of the plate. At the end of the might bats, when you say, what were the mistake pitches? It was only always the curveball. That fastball, Zito had such good command. He worked the corners, elevated. He got you to miss hit it. Same thing with the changeup. And I said, you know what? I can't hit the curveball because I'm so focused on the fastball. So I said, I'm going to forget the fastball tonight. I'm going to sit curveball the whole game. Every pitch sit curveball. I still came out of the game 0 for 2, but my first at bat, <laughs> I hit an absolute rocket on a curveball to the shortstop. I was like, oh my gosh, that's the hardest ball I've ever hit off Zito. <laughs> and it was because I sat on the curveball. The next at bat, sitting on the curveball, he threw me a changeup, hit a line drive to the left fielder. I was 0 for 2 in my final at bat, uh, final at bats off Zito, but I came in feeling like I finally figured him out. And it was something that, you know, I learned from Vladdy. And, you know, those are sometimes some of the some of those blind spots we all get as hitters you get focusing on one thing and you know have a guy a pro like him that you know he had he you know he had a lot of tricks up his sleeve and that was one he had on zito 
Tim Salmon, I, I see you all the time. You go in, you talk with Mark Langston. It's, it's the fish talk, right, every yeah. time that you're out here. And I know you guys talk a lot about hitting, and he gives us stuff from the pitcher's perspective and mm-hmm. you from the hitter's perspective. What are some of those technical things that you remember, like, in your career when you're trying to figure out your approach, when you're making those kind of adjustments in-game, and how big was that for you? Well, everything you just said, I mean, it comes down to your approach. There was never a situation I went into a game where I didn't have a game plan, an approach off a certain pitcher. I mean, you know, if I didn't go into a game with a def- definitive approach off a starter, I, I, I felt lost. I mean, it was, I, I, there was on a handful of occasions where I remember going out on the on-deck circle and I'm still not confident of what my approach was going to be. And in situations like that, I might turn to my, you know, rod crew or somebody and say, tell me something. Just give me one thing so I can focus on it because I, maybe I was overthinking it. But um, it does come down to approach and it comes down to what you're thinking. It's a cat and mouse game. It's always been a cat and mouse game. This guy's got three weapons, fastball, curveball, slider. What's the counts? What's the situation that dictate how he's going to throw it? We always talked about having an educated guess or an or educated hunch going into it. I'm not going up there guess, guess hitting or just looking for the fastball all the time. Hey, to be successful, when a guy's throwing 94 miles an hour and you're able to hit a slider, well, you can't do that if you're just sitting dead red. So you have to have those, this, you know, the, the background of at-bats, the studying to understand, hey, in this scenario, with the kind of hitter that I, that I am, with the skill sets I have, he's likely going to do what? And you kind of go in there and you, you do your homework and you hope that, you know, your game plan works out. But that's what it comes down to is having that game plan. Most of the time it worked out for me, or I shouldn't say most, but a lot of times it worked out for me. But a lot of times it didn't. And, you know, you just check, you know, at the end of the day, you come back and, you, you know, you tip your cap and say, hey, you know what? He outsmarted me tonight. And, and I think that's what you see in major leaguers is, you know, anytime we watch him take a fastball down the middle, like, how could you take that pitch? Well, because there's more to that that went into that in, in that player's approach. He's obviously looking for something else. And why was he looking for something else? Well, you have to go back and look at the previous at-bats to figure that out. Talking hitting right now with Angels legend Tim Salmon. And uh, we were just talking about Vladimir Guerrero. And you were his teammate you know, for a lot of his time here with the Angels, including that 4 season mm-hmm. when he won the MVP. Was there anything in particular that you remember about that 4 campaign that he had? Well, I, you know, we, we always had a lot of guys on base. And he was one of the best hitters with men in scoring position. Um, you know, when I think back to that, in, in 4 I, I ended up getting hurt kind of midway through the year with my knee. But... In the times that I was there, I just I just remember him. In every scenario there were men on base, he was squaring up a ball. He was putting the big part of the bat on the ball and just driving runs in. It was fun to watch. I mean, there was um, there, there wasn't really a situation that came along where you felt like you know Vladdy was you know not going to come through. I mean, much like a Garrett Anderson, you know, when Garrett Anderson was going well, you just always felt like hey, right guy, right situation. This guy's going to find a way to drive runs in. And, and, and to me, that's the greatness in the player. You know, when you, when you stop what you're doing is, you know, to watch what he's doing. Or if he's in the lineup, you know, you're always trying to pass the baton and get it to, get it to Vladdy. You know, get Vladdy to the plate somehow, some way in this, this scenario. So, um, you know, he was obviously a freak of nature in the sense that, you know, he, he could hit the ball off the ground and hit it for a homer, or he could swing it over his head and hit it for a homer. And, um, and that, that was pretty special to see. And, you know, the, the other thing, too, is I remember him facing a lot of the big-time pitchers in the day, like, like a Pedro Martinez, yeah. you know. He, against the big stars, his game rose to that level, and he was successful. You know, he didn't let a, a big-name pitcher, you know, not, um, you know, have the advantage on him. He, he found a way to get those guys, and, you know, that's special as well, too. I mean, you, you, when you look over a career and you think of the guys who were able to do that, I mean, it's a short list, and Vladdy was definitely one of them. 
Salmon for uh, Tim Salmon, we're talking with right now. Fish for you now to come back and and being around this organization again the last couple of years doing the TV thing. How much are you enjoying uh, being around the club and you know talking baseball on an almost daily basis being around here? Well, I, I like it. I mean, I I get the flexibility of being able to coach a high school team in the spring and. Um, be around with the family and do the things I can do, but I really enjoy when I do come to the ballpark. Um, I can come to the ballpark and be around the team and be around my second family, or in some instances, almost my first family. I almost spent more time, you know, at the stadium or around, you know, the angel personnel than, than I did um, with my family when I played. So it's very much a, a coming home for me. Um, you know, there, there's an aspect of being around the game and being able to use something that I, you know, a skill set, you know, be productive in life, whatever it is. Um, this is what I know, and, and I have insight, and, you know, for the most part, people like it, and I, I like being able to share it. I mean, um, it's, you know, at this stage of my life, would I ever want to get back on the field and coach at the pro level? I can't see it because it's a huge commitment. I mean, I can go home at night after an angel loss, and I can sleep well. <laughs> not, not that I don't care, but I don't have the vested interest that those coaches in the field do, and... Um, and that's a that's a whole different perspective for me now in life. I mean, I'm coming to the ballpark. I don't come to the ballpark anymore with butterflies in my stomach, and I don't leave with the stresses of you know tomorrow night's starter that I got to find a way to hit, or you know the the ups and downs of a game, or a, or a tough losing streak, or a tough season the, like the Angels had this year. I don't have to take that home with me, and that's kind of um, refreshing. Um, and so it, it makes coming to the ballpark fun that I can come here and be productive, add something to it, and yet still go home and, and have a normal life. Hey, Tim, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you coming on, and, and this is awesome. It's good seeing you here. Well, Trent, I really appreciate it, and, and uh, um, I enjoy talking to you as well and listening <laughs> to you as well and, and during the midnight hours. <laughs> right, staying up late. Thank you yeah. so much. How about that? Tim Salmon, Angels Recap listener. It's awesome. And you can be, too. We come on after every Angels home game. Use the hashtag Angels Recap on Twitter and really get a chance to be a part of the show. We'll answer all your questions, read your comments on the air. We have a lot of cool prizes we like to give away as well. All right, how about this? Not just Tim Salmon as an Angel teammate that we talked to, but another one of Vlad's teammates, Adam Kennedy, stopped by our studio last week, and here's our chat. What's going on, AK? Hey, Trent. How you doing, big guy? Hey, I'm doing good. It's great to see you here. Fun to have you in studio. You got a busy weekend coming up. Going to be a part of the broadcast here on Fox this weekend. That must be pretty cool. It'll be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I, I love watching Angel games on a daily basis, so why not uh, step on the booth and talk about it a little bit? I was going to say, like, how much during the season, like, even, you know, probably even before you found out that you were going to be, you know, a part of the broadcast, like, how much time do you spend watching Angels games? How connected are you? I watch just about every single game wow. every night. Uh, you make it part of your dinner routine or, or you know, hanging out with friends or the kids or whatever, and, and um, you know, the Angel game is always on in the background at least. How, uh, how hard is it for you at times when, you know, obviously playing as long as you did and having the successful career that you had, now, you know, seeing these guys and saying, oh, man, I wish I could get out there and take some hacks against this dude. Oh, yeah, mentally still in the game, and, and you think you can do it, uh, but you just know physically your time has been long gone, uh, and you just appreciate what these guys are doing. Uh, the, these young players these days, how big, fast, strong they are. Uh, the pitcher's throwing with the velocity they, they do nowadays, the home run numbers. Um, it's an exciting game, and it's, it's – uh, 
it's getting you know more popular, more popular worldwide. So it's great to be a part of, and I I, I still uh, have passion and love for for the game and especially the Angels. We got Adam Kennedy in studio with us right now. All right, AK, uh, we mentioned you're going to be a part of the Fox broadcast this week, doing uh, some of the pre and the post game. What are some things that uh, you're you're maybe most excited about for this weekend when you're going to be you know getting a chance to talk about the Halos on TV? Well, hopefully they play well, you know, it's easy, <laughs> so it makes it easy to talk uh, good about them. Um, I'm excited to talk maybe a, a little bit about Fletcher. You know, it's always good to, you know, see Trout and, and, and talk about his performances and, um, you know, the everything. You know, ho- hopefully it's just a fun, fun weekend. Put a little beat down on Seattle. Um, hopefully make a little run here, you know, yeah. running out of time to make a run. It'd be nice to kind of be a part of, of that, maybe have a fun weekend with that. But, um Really, the whole package, but but you know, uh, Fletcher's one kid I've kind of got to know in spring training a little bit, and he's playing well, and and you know, kind of being familiar with the transition that he's making from second to third base and back and forth, and and he's fun to watch, and it's always good to get a fresh a fresh face in there that's playing well. Let's talk about Fletch for a second because I mean, this is a guy that I mean, in, in talking with Angels fans all the time and seeing the tweets and seeing what people are posting. People love David Fletcher, and I think reasonably so. He's a great situational hitter. He doesn't strike out much. He plays great defense. He plays the game hard. What are things that you see in David Fletcher that you know kind of jump out to you? Good baseball player, hungry. Um, I love that he's a, a, a California kid. Yeah, uh, local product is always is great. Um, he knows how to play the game of baseball. Um, fans can relate to him because he's he's uh, our size. You know, he's he's an average <laughs> white guy like me and you. So so it's um it, it's fun to root for him, and uh, I really really enjoy you know what he's been able to do. You know, not really high on the radar. You know, in the minor leagues, just just because he's not star power, but um, he's a winning ball player. A lot like Eckstein, you know, and the group that we had uh, winning the World Series, and um, he's fun to root for, and the fans can appreciate that. We're talking with the World Series champ Adam Kennedy uh, here with us uh, on AM830. All right, AK, uh, in talking about Fletcher, you mentioned that transition from second to third and having to do that later in your career. I know you did that when you went over the Dodgers for a little bit. What to, What is that transition like? Like, How hard is it when you've played a position forever and then all of a sudden, you know, towards the end of your career, having to make that kind of switch? It's huge. You know, Two things, kind of. When you're in the middle of the infield, you really have – a lot of time on the ground balls. You can read the hops. You can position yourself to field the the hops correctly. At third base, you don't have that time. You know, you're a little bit more of a hockey goalie, kind of getting what you get, um, putting your body on the ball a little bit more. Then the other thing, which is really big, is most of us who play second base, we play second base because our arm strength wasn't good enough to continue continue to play shortstop well now you put us to third base and and you do have that long throw yeah. and you're in your angles with the runner running up the line and the angle you have is, is a lot smaller than in the middle of the field as well so it's a tough transition it's not easy and, and the plays that i've seen him make on a nightly basis it, it, he's making the transition uh, very smoothly well, Adam, one thing that we're having a lot of people talk about today, obviously with Vladimir Guerrero going into Cooperstown, going to be inducted as the first angel, uh, the first player to wear an angel's hat on his plaque in the Hall of Fame. You were Vlad's teammate. What Do you have any stories, anything you remember, uh, stories that you can share about Vladimir Guerrero from your time as his teammate? Yeah, Vlad, first, everybody loved Vlad. You know, the training staff, uh, 
every player, every position player, every pitcher, um, the coaching staff. There wasn't a person in the clubhouse that that didn't love Vlad. I mean, he he brought a lot of energy. He brought um, professionalism. He brought the clubhouse together, the different nationalities. He brought everybody together. Um, and and you don't always come across that in a superstar. You know, a lot of superstars are they're they're a little bit self centered because they have a lot. Of, they have big business to ha- handle every night, and, and and they have that pressure. But Vlad is Vlad. Vlad was just one of the teammates. He brought everybody together. Um, he was always in the middle of the clubhouse talks, you know, he, he, he was great to have around, um, you know, and he's just literally one of the guys on the, on the road trips. No, no, you know, suite at the hotel, you know, um, just, just one of the guys. And, and I think everybody's proud that he's going in as an angel. Sosh talks all the time about the food his mom would make in the clubhouse. Do you remember that? I think it's definitely the first time any of us uh, California kids, probably even anybody <laughs> from America, had had uh, Dominican food at all, let alone on a daily basis. So it was definitely a, a treat for us, and we got to kind of broaden our horizons with that and, and see how you know their family was brought together. And, and you know he would always have friends around and, and his kids and uh, family. So he brought uh, a lot of camaraderie to the clubhouse and, and made it that family atmosphere. Hey, Soch openly admits he used to hit that spread pretty hard when uh, Vlad's mom would be bringing in some of that uh, Dominican food. That's well, let's do, Soch hit a lot of spreads pretty hard, so <laughs> not just not just Vlad. I'm going to tell him that you said that. I'm sure he, there's maybe even a chance he's listening right now. Uh, that's really good. We're talking with uh, Adam Kennedy, former Angels second baseman, and of course won the World Series with this club back in 2002. AK, like when you see the game today, there's been a lot of changes. Like we're seeing, I mean, this is going to be the first season ever that there's going to be more strikeouts than hits this year. And there have been just a lot of changes in this game. When you see the way the game is played today versus the way it was, I mean, not all that long ago when you were playing, what kind of changes have you seen? And maybe what are some things that you remember from your time as a player that maybe you'd like to see come back into the sport of baseball? Yeah, it, you know it's really hard to compare eras because it always changes, right? Um, you just, you, for me personally, with the hitting situation, you would like to see a little bit more pride these guys take in and and taking base hits from time to time. I get the importance of the home run and driving in the big runs. Um, I get the importance of the walk and and the, how the the two combined in the OPS numbers, and I get all that. But it is fun to watch, and it is fun as a as a hitter when you're competing against that pitcher to win a two strike battle. You know, to win with a, a blue base hit, or you know, drive in a run with a man on third base and two outs with with a with a tough single. Um, those are the things that I always took pride in and watched hitters that I looked up to, Tony Gwynn type, um, creating base hits and do that stuff. I enjoy watching that competition that the hitters have with the pitcher. Um, the all or nothing stuff, it is great as well. But sometimes I just, I'd, I'd like to see that competition, that one-on-one competition of, of uh, you know, winning that battle of a two-strike approach, a two-strike hit, um, a little bit more. But it's hard to complain. These players are so good and talented, and baseball is in a great, great place. So. Um, if you had one thing to pick, I think you know just a little bit more situational hitting would be great. When you played and you came into a game, obviously you had great information. You had your scouting report. You were very prepared coming into the game. Players today have more information than they've ever had before. But what was it like for you over the course of a game adjusting to a pitcher, maybe facing him the second or the third time? And what was that adjustment like as a hitter uh, that helped you be so successful? 
Yeah, I mean, anytime you're facing a, a pitcher a third time through the lineup, um, you know, you're going to, the advantage will tilt towards the hitter a little bit. You know, he's obviously at around, you know, 70 pitch mark by that point, probably um, not quite as sharp. You know, you have a little bit more feel of what he's doing to you that day. Um, so obviously the, it tilts a little bit in your favor. Um, the video that we have, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot. You, you, you know, you can take a little bit of time each day or before each series, kind of get familiar with um, every guy out of the bullpen. Nowadays, they have the iPads in the dugout. You can just refresh. Um, so that kind of uh, information is invaluable, and it, it really helps. But, you know, I was always weary of, of the percentages because the percentages aren't that much. You know, uh, is 60% to me good enough to really sell out for a pitch or expect something? Um, for me, it wasn't because there's still a, almost half, you know, that it's not going to be in that uh, what's your what you're thinking. So for me, I, I, I will tell you this. I was very familiar with every pitcher and what they had. I was probably a little more familiar with what each catcher tried to do to everybody. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I would 99% of the time look fastball down the middle and kind of adjust to everything else and, and try to keep it as simple as possible. Yeah, we're talking with Adam Kennedy right here. Just talking some hitting, and this is what's fun. And I know that you coached for a little bit in your post-playing career. Like, how how, how valuable or how significant was it for you to be able to continue to teach this game uh, after your post-playing career and be able to kind of you know help the next generation of baseball star? I, I absolutely loved it. You know, um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it right away, but um, I got into coaching um, my kids right when I got done playing, then moved on to modern day a little bit, and it it was a blessing. I I, I learned so much about you know the game and and how to to relay it to to somebody. Um, as a player, you just kind of in thrill and entrenched in in what's going to work for you. Well, when you're coaching kids, you know you got a lot of different personalities. You got a lot of people who, who you know take in the information differently so it's our job to, to find out what works for each kid what we, works for each player and uh and pass along that information in the best way possible for them uh it was it's been a, a really fun time coaching and i hope to continue to do so we got Adam Kennedy with us in studio right now. He's going to be on the Fox broadcast this weekend as the Angels get set to take on the Seattle Mariners on TV. Uh, AK, like, what have you been up to lately? I mean, I, I I saw you a little bit at the Ducks game a couple of months ago before the season got started. Like, what what's life like for Adam Kennedy here in 2018? I can't complain. You know, uh, I got I got the kids. Um, do do some real estate stuff around town and and some coaching. So uh, my plate is pretty full. Um, mix that in with with you know getting out to an angel game, uh, probably you know once a month, once a homestand maybe, um, and, and just kind of love living in, in Orange County and it, it's it's been fun and um, you know kind of looking for my next avenue of of where I'm gonna beheaded and uh, i'm not sure that where that took me maybe next to you <laughs> that would that would sure be a lot of fun having you uh, in here ak uh, how about uh do you still keep up with a lot of your teammates uh i, I know that you and percy are still tight do you, do you still keep in contact with guys from that 02 team yeah definitely um you know there's a, a group of guys that still communicate from time to time but um everybody's busy and and we all respect that and understand um everybody has different things going on but you you uh, watch guys from afar if they're in the public eye and, and see how they're doing. You know, Erstad at Nebraska, Percival at, at Riverside. Um, Garrett Anderson's son is a great basketball player at Olu, so you kind of 
um, pay attention locally to what guys are doing. Um, but it's always good to talk talk shop with guys and run into them from time to time. Golf tournaments here and yeah. there, here at the stadium for events. So it's always good to see old faces. By the way, go Orange Luther and Lancers. I won't hold the modern day thing against you. I promise. I'm not gonna. I'm not <laughs> gonna hold it against you, AK. Hey, thanks so much for coming in studio. This is fun for me, fun for our listeners too. Just getting a chance to talk some baseball, and it's good to hear you. And I'm excited to see you this weekend. Absolutely, I'll try try to do my best. I'll um, I'll shave a little bit before I get on TV. <laughs> Maybe get my hair done. Uh, maybe maybe get some sun uh, and try to look my best. Hey, don't go too Hollywood on us. <laughs> All right, Adam Kennedy, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Trent. Man, Adam Kennedy's awesome. And by the way, he did a great job on the Fox Sports pre- and post-game coverage uh, the past weekend with Jose Moda, Mark Gubaza, Mark Langston, all off in Cooperstown, uh, Kingfish as well. Uh, I thought AK did a really great job, and uh, thanks to him for spending some time with us here in studio. One thing that I have really enjoyed this past week, especially leading up to Vladimir Guerrero's Hall of Fame induction is getting to hear great stories about Vlad. And I think it's important to note when he came to the Angels back in that 2003 offseason when Artie Moreno had first bought the team, Chairman Dennis Cool came by the studio as well, and we were able to talk about what that time was like when Vladdy first joined the Halos. Dennis, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Hey, what an exciting weekend. Vladimir Guerrero going into the Hall of Fame, the first to wear an Angels hat on his plaque in Cooperstown. How awesome is that? for you it to is, see him going as an angel. It is unbelievable. I mean, I have been to Cooperstown, but never been to an induction. To go there and see one of our own, uh, Vladdy was here the first year I got here. And so it's like uh, we went through it together. He was one of the most outstanding uh, players I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot through my years. But he's one of the best. He's one of the best. Pure baseball player. Pure. From the organization's perspective, why was it so important to see to it that, I don't know that how much of a hand you guys had in this, but you know how exciting is it anyway that, that Vlad is going to be going in as an angel? Well, you know, he's our first angel, so uh, you couldn't ask for a better person to be the first angel to go in the Hall of Fame. Um, he, he represented us so well as an angel. His numbers were outstanding. He was a fan favorite, that big old smile. You, you fell in love with him right away, and you, you loved his uh, competitiveness. I mean, he was a competitor. Every time he got up, you said, What's going to happen now? Dennis, I want to go back in the time machine. Take me back to 2003. Already just buys the team. Obviously, you and, and John Carpino, a major part of that right from the start. Why was it so important to Artie to go and get a guy who is no doubt the best free agent on the market in Vladimir Guerrero and make an instant impact like that? Well, that's just it. You just hit it on the head. He wanted to make an instant impact. He wanted to show the fans that we are, uh, we already, all of us are here to uh, win. And uh, by doing that and going after one of the best players in baseball, he was proving to the fans, hey, you know, come on out. Uh, you, the fans have to have someone to come out and see. And he's probably the most, one of the most exciting players of all time. So, Artie, you don't ever see where the Angels are rebuilding. We're always competitive. Or we try to always be competitive. That's our goal. Um, there's no reason to go out there and play if you're not competitive. What do you remember about that time when you guys are first getting started? Boy, it, it's been a while. It's been almost 16 years now since that happened. Um, what was was interesting was, wow, where did that come from? You know, it was like a Grand Slam home run right out of the box. You know, uh, uh, Bill Stoneman and Artie worked very hard on that deal. Uh, it was kind of a surprise for all of us. They kept it pretty close to the chest. Uh, so when it happens, which which they do all the time, uh, you're kind of like, wow, wow. It's, they had the wow factor. You know, it's sometimes it's about the sizzle and not the steak. 
Yeah. Well, a lot of times, and you, I, thought, I thought you just brought up a good point, Dennis, like how the Angels really, since Artie Moreno's on the team, the time that I remember oh, being a kid growing up in Orange County and always following the Angels, there really hasn't ever been a rebuilding period. And 16 years is a long time to go with that rebuilding. Even today, you know, a lot of teams in baseball have, have chosen to rebuild. The Angels continue to try to be competitive. Why is that the philosophy? Because we owe it to the fans. I mean, uh, it's hard to say to a fan, hey, come buy season tickets while we're rebuilding. No, come out and see us win, and, and every game counts. Um, you have to have it that way. Uh, there's no reason to play. It's like uh, we're playing for fun or we're uh, not keeping score. No, <laughs> we're keeping score. And we, you know, when, when uh, John and I got here, we were still trying to just learn the business, you know, and Artie's over there wheeling and dealing. And it was, it was like for us guys who are sales guys and marketing guys, I mean, it was like, here's a gift. Here's yeah. a complete gift. Here's Vladdy, go for it. And um, it was it was just being being able to see a player of that caliber every day. Can't beat it. No, Vlad's the best. I, I've heard a lot of stories too, and I talked with Adam Kennedy about this. I've talked with Mike Sosha about this. Have you did you ever get it in on the spread that Vlad's mom used to bring? Apparently it was like the best Dominican food around. Do you ever get in on that? No, I did not. Uh, <laughs> I think it was a little crowded up there where they were serving the food, but uh yeah, I've heard the same thing. I heard it was outstanding. Outstanding. And you know, he was a great teammate. You know, he invited his friends and didn't matter. He just come on over, you know, mom's cooking, let's go, you know. So I'm sure Adam uh told you that he was a he was one of the best teammates. Everybody that we've talked to has said that about Vladimir Guerrero. And, and for, you know, getting a chance to see him inducted into the Angels Hall of Fame last year, I thought was really exciting. It was cool to see him here. It was cool to see how many people love and embrace Vladimir Guerrero. What was it like for you to, to get the opportunity to, to invite him into the Angels Hall of Fame? Uh, you know, it didn't take much to convince us to put him into the Hall of Fame, believe me. But when he came out of that dugout, it was just like so exciting and so electric. The fans love him. Uh, that's what baseball's about, you know, the, the great athletes that uh, perform on the field and off the field, and he was one. So now going into Cooperstown, you guys got a busy week ahead. Like, what what can we expect? Like, what's happening this weekend? Can you give us a little peek behind the curtain? Uh, you know, I think you do talk to uh, Mr. Carpino about that <laughs> since he's the party planner on this deal. Uh, I... Uh, I'm looking forward to going up there um, to be around. I talked to Bud Selig. He's going to be there. I talked Great. to Bud the other day on the phone. and uh, I'll see Rob Manfred, and I'll see a bunch of the other owners, the guys from the Braves and, and Cleveland. And they're all good people. They're all great people. So uh, it should be exciting. The, there's a lot of parties going on, like always. And uh, it's my first time there. So I really uh, – talk to me after I get back, and I'll okay. tell you how it was. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the stories. Dennis Gould, Chairman of Angels Baseball. Dennis, I can't thank you enough for coming in the studio and giving us a little insight into, you know, back in 2003 when, when Vladdy came to the Angels and the rest, uh, history, a glorious history at that. Thank you, Dennis. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Trent. Can't thank Dennis Cool enough for coming down to the studio and having a little chit-chat about Vladdy Guerrero. By the way, we mentioned it before. I want to mention it again. August 10th, Vladimir Guerrero bobblehead night here at Angel Stadium. You'll want to make sure you are here for that for sure. All right, let's talk with one of Vlad's old coaches. He's the Angels' current third base coach Dino Ebel was on Angels Recap last week to talk about coaching Vlad Guerrero. We got Vladimir Guerrero going to the Hall of Fame, going to be inducted into Cooperstown, wearing an Angels hat. I know that's a pretty special situation uh, for this organization, but man, you coached him. What, what was it like coaching Hall of Famer Vlad Guerrero? Oh, it was awesome. You know, this is one of the nicest and greatest guys you could ever meet. He's in the like top five in my uh, 
31 season in baseball. If Torrey Hunter, Mike Trout, Caliber, Albert Pujols, he just comes to the park every day smiling and uh, just a pleasure to watch sitting out at third base and just seeing him hit and, uh, you know, in the outfield throwing runners out and running the bases aggressively. And uh, he's truly a Hall of Famer in my book, and I'm so happy for him and his family. What do you remember about Vlad, the person, uh, back when he was playing here for the Angels? Just uh, great. I mean, just greatness is just, uh, again, he walks in the clubhouse, goes around, says hello to everybody. Every day, his mom, it was unbelievable for the years he spent here for the home team and the visiting team. His mom would bring in uh, a dinner for the whole team. And, uh, uh, you know, I always joke with him now when he comes in, I'm like, the one thing I miss is not you. I miss your mom and his food. <laughs> and he laughs. But uh, uh, just a, a total, genuine, great person who cares and is a fan of the game and loves playing the game. Dino, I want to know a little bit about you as well. And you mentioned 31 years coaching baseball. You spent a long time here with this Angels organization, third third base coach now. You've been the bench coach in your career. You've kind of been all over the place. Can you walk me through, like, what a typical day is like for you? Well, yeah, it's like on a home day. I've got a routine, uh, you know, get to the park around uh, noon. Uh, get all my scouting reports. Uh, now I'm, I am in charge with the outfielders on the shifting, so I get all my information and uh, put it all together for uh, the starting outfield that day. And then, uh, you know, the guys start to come in. Maybe we'll get a bite to eat, start talking to the guys how they fill in. Uh, we got any extra work. That happens around 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, again, we uh, meet with a team first game of every series. We go over the pitchers. Uh, I go over all the outfielders. Uh, JP does the catchers with Solis, uh, you know, infielders with Alfredo, uh, you know, and then uh, come out here after uh, early work. BP starts, go back in, get a bite to eat, change the top, and come out and play the game. How has the information changed from the time maybe even, even recently as to when Vlad was playing to now when you're getting guys ready for a game? Oh, the information about the same. Again, it's now with the, you know, with our analytical department with Billy and, you know, they give us all the information. Back then it was more like in-house stuff that we would do, take care of, uh, chart our own, uh, you know, balls that were put in play. But now we're getting a heck of a lot more information, which is awesome. Uh, These guys get it. uh, We give it to them. They also get it. Uh, when Vlad was here, same same routine. You know, we would go over every hitter, uh, the you know, who's pitching for us, uh, where we think the ball's going to be hit. So, uh, and that part of it is, uh, you know, it has changed with more information, with uh, you know, uh, the information we're getting from upstairs. But uh, overall, it's uh, it's all good stuff that we put together. I'm curious to know about what you do as a third base coach. And I know you and I talk off the record all the time about the stuff that's going on, but just in cases throughout a game, I know the Angels under Mike Sosha have always been a more aggressive base running team. And, you know, when we see you running up and down and, you know, moving all over the place in that left field line, third base line, what's going on in your perspective of the way this team runs the bases and what kind of things do you look for? Well, you got to be prepared. So at least, uh, you know, first for as a third base coach, you got to gain the trust of a player. Uh, second, uh, they know uh, we teach from day one to run through bases. Let me make a decision if you're going to score or stop you. Uh, those are the things that we hammer in spring training. We don't we don't like to see mistakes. We don't, you know, and our players don't like to make to to make mistakes. But we are aggressive. We do force the action. I could tell you many stories of 
Hall of Fame third basemen or just regular third basemen that come in and can't wait to leave because the pressure we put on them with the contact play, going first to third. Uh, there's going to be some outs that sometimes you shake your head and why we did that, and we do talk to the player about it to try to, to improve on it. But uh, just, you know, for myself being prepared every day, knowing the outfielder's arm, knowing if he can go to his left and right, coming in on a ball, uh, is he a power arm, average arm, and below average arm? Uh, is his accuracy good? Those are the things that I spent a lot of time on film and just know, been around a long time knowing the league. And then I put it into play. So I tell all our base runners, be aggressive. Let me be the guy that stops you. If you ever backdoored at third base because I brought you down the line too far, it's my fault. I always tell Mike that. But, uh, you know, again, you just go out there, you put the pressure on, you run smart base running, and sometimes you do get in some ugly outs, but uh, a lot of times uh, you'll score some runs where other teams or people think you shouldn't have scored, we score. It's easy to see that you and Angels manager Mike Sosha have a good relationship and have for a really long time. The nature of my role, and I know a lot of fans take on their armchair manager role, and just even doing the show, Angels Recap, I kind of have to play manager myself sometimes. But when you guys are in the dugout, I mean, we, as, as fans and as broadcast people that watch the game, I think you see stuff at, at the surface level or maybe one cut beyond the surface level. What goes on in the dugout in terms of the way you guys approach a game? What's well, always being prepared and uh, always thinking ahead and uh, knowing situations, knowing the other team's bench, knowing what they have in the bullpen, knowing who's going to pinch run, pinch hit, who they would pinch hit for, who the matchups are. So those are things that we constantly talk about before the game. We talk about it during a game. Uh, you know, it's always. I always felt when I was the bench coach here that I threw my ideas out, even if uh, Mike used them or he didn't use them. I didn't have an ego. He's the manager. He's the one that's going to make the final decision. But uh, communication is huge. So if you're talking baseball, uh, the manager's worried about the bullpen. The manager's worried about the offense. If he's got a guy next to him that's, uh, you know, telling him some stuff about the next inning, who's coming up, do you want to run? It just gives him a little, you know, a breath of, of you know, good. Uh, saying, you know what, my mind was totally on the bit pitching side. Now Dino's got the guys ready. If I'm going to pinch run, pinch hit, these guys are down there taking swings. So if the situation, you know, comes up, our, uh, you know, we're ready for it. The player's ready for it. It's no surprises. Mike does a great, great job knowing kind of what the other manager's going to do in situations. So he's always prefer, prefer, uh, prepared for their moves. But uh, constantly talking baseball. As soon as we get here at noon, Till we leave base, till we leave at the end of the night, we're talking ball. I was going to say, like you mentioned, looking ahead, with it's like a game of chess. You guys, you, you have to be at the major league level. You got to be like five, six moves ahead at a time. It's hard to track a game like that. Absolutely, and I was always. I think we talked about this before, where I started my managing career in the minor leagues, and I was always brought up. I came up through the Dodgers, and they always told me, "Think bases loaded, two outs, who's on deck?" If you, you know, you're you're controlling your bullpen, and. That's what we do. You're always thinking ahead, and if something does happen, you're ready for it. If something doesn't happen, then things, you know, you move on to the next inning. But uh, the, the, the worst thing for me is not being prepared, and that's what the main goal is, is always being prepared. The information we get today, like I said earlier, is incredible. We, we put it to use. The players trust it, and uh, we let, you know, go out and have fun and play baseball. Dino, I enjoy any chance we get to talk some baseball. And thank you for kind of peeling the curtain back a little bit for our fans uh, here today. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, anytime. Anytime you need me or need anything, you want to talk ball, <laughs> give me a ring. I'll answer. <laughs> we'll do that. Thanks, Dino. You got it. Man, talking baseball with Dino Ebel is the best. That is one bright dude right there. I want to thank all our guests for joining us on Angels Recap and here on the Angels Recap podcast. 
Thanks to Chris Epting, Tim Salmon, Adam Kennedy, Dennis Cool, and Dino Ebel, all for stopping by the show. Again, listen to Angels Recap after each and every Angels home game and be part of the show as well by using the hashtag Angels Recap on Twitter. It's always a party after Angels home games, and I hope you join us for that real soon. Again, my name is Trent Rush. Have a great rest of your day, and thanks for joining us here on the Angels Recap Podcast. Hall of Fame style.